gather around, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crime and Coffee, uh, the podcast about crime. And uh, while well, we drink some coffee, hey, sipping away at some Java. That's right. My name's Mike. My name's Allison. Yeah, and uh, we're married. We sure are. Yeah, and um, you know, this week's my week to uh, to dive into another story. But uh, before we get started, I'm uh, we're both sitting here wearing our Chicago Bears jerseys because it's NFL week uh, as we record this. So first week of NFL games, very exciting, very very exciting. You might wonder. I thought you said you were from Florida. Why the hell are you wearing a Bears jersey? But we are from Chicago, born yeah. and raised, moved down here in what 2004? Four? Yeah, I, I just tell people 15 years ago, and I've been saying that for like five years. <laughs> it's 17 now. Yeah, I just keep on saying it. So like two years before that, I said 15. And <laughs> so then, in 15 years, will it still be 15? I think once I make the flip to 25 or something, maybe maybe 22. Yeah, we were like, what, 25 years old when we moved here from Chicago? Pretty young, young and silly and fun. We were young and in love. We and, saw a picture of us yesterday from 1997 on our university campus, NIU Huskies, and we looked like babies. You had a hell of a lot more hair. Yeah, on the top of my head. And less <laughs> on my chin and chins. On <laughs> my chins. Chins and cheeks. <laughs> so I, I saw, showed uh, Cameron, our son, and he's like, wow, mom looks exactly the same. Oh, my god! I just silence. <laughs> silence about you. And I'm like, well, what about me? He's like, well, you look different. <laughs> you look different. Yeah, and I remember thinking the same of my dad. Like, That's what he, you looked like your dad in that picture, actually. Did I? Yeah. Huh. It's uh, and it was similar because my dad never had a beard when he was young, obviously, and I didn't either. And now I've had a beard since the kids have been alive, practically. And it's funny we were talking about how like ten years seems like it goes by fast, but so much can change in ten years. Because on my Google Memories, it popped up that ten years ago I was thirty-two weeks pregnant. We had a two-year-old, and now we have. A th- almost 13 year old and an almost 10 year old it's it's just incredible how much can change in 10 years it really is it's time flies man that's, that's for uh, damn sure yeah but uh, i'm happy to get uh, get a, get back together here have a little uh, chat about some some crime stuff and uh you know this is a new genre for me i, I think we mentioned in the, the previous episode maybe we haven't whatever but uh, welcome to my world mike yeah yeah it's, it's good to have you here it's interesting it's definitely interesting stuff and I'm excited I get to sit back and drink my coffee because as a full-time working mom, it doesn't happen very often that you're just still. So it's kind of nice that this kind of makes me be still mm-hmm. rather than, you know, oh, I got to do laundry. Oh, got to get the crock pot going. Oh, you know. Well, so. especially in our house, we have this rule where you're not allowed to sit down until the sun goes down. That is not true. So most times I find myself just puttering about and trying to, <laughs> trying to look busy. Yeah, exactly. Unlike your boss, you walk into the room, you grab a <laughs> rag and just start wiping the counter. Or now that I have this podcast, I grab some papers and I'm like, oh, yeah, just uh, man, researching. Doing a little research here. Yeah, I got some of those cheater glasses so I can like lift them up and be like, hmm, yeah. yeah <laughs> you look really smart. Right, right. A little smoking jacket and such. I, well, I wa- also want to improve my voice for this podcast. Podcast, so I got a, a smoke. You know, I got some cigarettes. Uh, I got myself a pipe. So you I know, your them. health will decline rapidly, but at least you'll have that podcast voice. Yeah, the voice would be really nice. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. So, uh, should we get started here? Let's get started. All right. Uh, you may have heard this uh, name before. You said it was sounded familiar to you. But... You gave me the name last week, but mm-hmm. I can't even remember what that was. So his name is Daniel Laplante. Okay, and I may or may not have heard this, so we'll see. Yeah, you let me know, and. Um, We'll go from there. But this Daniel LaPlante story is fascinatingly horrible. Okay? So, As they all tend to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I, the, the way I found it was by Googling fascinating um, murders. So that'll be... Uh, well, I guess I let the cat out of the bag. There's a murder in this one at some point. Oh, well. My I kind of I figured that. Yeah. Yeah. 
But so, so this one's a little bit different than some other crime stories because there's almost like a ghost story, urban legend vibe in the Which middle. Would you like that whole ghost story thing? Even though you, you're you like skeptical about the whole thing. Yeah. I don't, so my whole murder thing is generally I don't like to look into negative things. But <laughs> you're like, why would you want to make yourself feel bad? Right, right. But this is, yeah. You know, the more I try to understand this whole genre, the more it, it seems, you know, this actually happened and, you know, we can, maybe we can learn some things. From, right, you know. exactly. And, um, but the, it is really sad for a lot of reasons and there's lots of the story so just bear with me all right so daniel laplante was born may 15th 1970 it's my mom's birthday oh i should have known that not the actual year of course my mom right. is older than that you would have been otherwise she would have been nine when nine. she had me yeah but yeah may 15th is her birthday huh maybe this is fitting um so he was born in townsend massachusetts uh he like a lot of these stories he had a pretty horrible childhood yeah Um, they start pretty bad pretty much everything bad you can think of um there's not a ton of detail around like his early early childhood but once he gets into like teenage years it starts to be a lot more details so in his early teenage years he lived with his mother and stepfather um their names were elaine and david moore and then his two brothers stephen and matthew and townsend so um there is a lot of evidence supporting that messed up childhood. So I'll kind of dive into that real quick here. So one, he was dyslexic, which made school really hard for him. He didn't you know, do very well in school. He didn't get any kind of professional help with his dys- dyslexia. Well, I think back then probably it wasn't very well understood. They probably just thought you had a learning disability and just threw you in the corner of the room to like get you out of the way and then let it go. Well, you can say that for like the 1920s, but this is like 1980 something. But still, back then, you know, they didn't have very many advancements and stuff like that, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just as you would think, he didn't get much support for that. So uh, he also didn't have much of a social life because people said he smelled bad and would wear dirty clothes and was greasy and Mm. just like bad skin. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So, you know, the kid looked at himself in the mirror and didn't think much of himself, uh, obviously. So there was lots of, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I, I found this funny. There's lots of articles, like lots of blogs and news articles and things. And they specifically quoted the words creepy and weird mm-hmm. as adjectives used to describe them at school. Never good adjectives to describe yourself. No. So they, they never like said from a person that said it, but all of them in quotes, creepy, weird. <laughs> Interesting. Like, yeah. So somebody who knew him must have said those words. Right, right. So yeah, that that's rough childhood starting out but here we get into some of the even worse things so he was also physically psychologically and sexually abused by his father oh geez his actual father and stepfather and stepfather yes yeah so um eventually he did get to see a psychiatrist um i don't know you know where the psychiatrist came in but he started to go see one and instead of treating him um for for some of the dyslexia they diagnosed him with hyperactivity disorder this was still in his early teen years but um after he was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder the psychiatrist also sexually abused him. no i was waiting for you to say that yeah for about a year what the f yeah yeah this poor kid yeah well you know it's a lot a lot of times in, in these situations that's that's what happens and it's it's sad so you know, he wasn't really into hanging out with people. I don't even know if he had the option because he was just smelly and, you know, just a lot of bad things going on with him. So, well, you know, and that may have been a defense mechanism too right. to not bathe so that people wouldn't, you know, you probably feel like absolute shit when everyone in your life you can't trust and then you're depressed. Who wants to get up and bathe and clean themselves? 
And then you probably hate the world, so you want to keep them away anyway. Like you said, a defense mechanism, you make it almost like your decision. Like, no, I don't want to hang out with people. Exactly. And who the F cares if I'm smelly? Yeah. So instead of hanging out with people in his early teens, he started to break into people's homes. Oh. So, yeah, you've done that before, I'm sure. No, no, I never, never have. Although in second grade, I did steal from somebody's backpack. (laughs) They had a red, no, it was a red prism. Oh, okay. And I don't know what I was thinking, Mm -hmm. but I thought it would just be wonderful to have. So (laughs) I took it. Well, you didn't have it. You wanted it. I wanted it. You grabbed it. So I took it. Yeah, makes sense. And my teacher found it in my backpack. So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that crime was very shortly lived and it was the end of my crime spree right okay. i am not a kleptomaniac i'm glad you figured that out. yes it anyway. was nipped in the bud at a very young age <laughs> so he he didn't figure that out uh, he started breaking into people's homes nearby and he would steal valuables and you know, do do whatever with them so that wasn't really kind of tickling his fancy enough um so he started really getting enjoyment out of screwing with people that he was breaking into their homes um, he, he liked this kind of playing mind games and making them feel like they, they were going crazy a little bit. So he wanted them to know that he had been there. Yes. So at around age 15, while he would break into people's homes, he'd also leave items behind like an open soda can or maybe rearrange mm. some furniture. Like just totally, completely, definitely there was somebody here. He That's wanted that scary. vibe of there was somebody here. I've been violated somehow. And he wanted them. Yeah. He, he didn't want... Yeah, and he also sometimes, you know, he would just kind of move little things here and there, you know. Well, and then you make, it makes you wonder, did I move that? Maybe, and you know, when you're leaving for work in the morning, you're in a hurry. You don't remember if I shifted this or that. Right, right. So that, that it shifted from something going after valuables to his main goal being mind games. Just fucking with people. Right, right. So he did that for a little, a little bit of time. Then uh, we get to this, uh, this first part of this is the the weirdest part of the whole story and this isn't even the murder just so you know okay uh the murder is horrible in its own right but there's this makes him kind of the urban legend that he is at this point it's 1986 and uh, we're going to talk about the andrews family so daniel's like 15 or 16 right now somehow he found a family of three there's a lot of details out there um they said maybe there were some connections maybe there weren't Maybe it was a house that he broke into previously and he noticed some pictures or something. Yeah, we don't know for sure. But this family of three was Brian Andrews, the dad, and his two daughters, Annie, who's 15, and Jessica, eight. So oh, she, the older daughter's about his age. Yep, exactly. So the family was going through some hard times because they'd recently lost their wife and mom to cancer. Oh, that's so tough. Yeah. So um, Brian, the dad, is now a single parent and had the load of the family on his shoulders. He was working more, not home as much, just to support the family and you know, just, just generally not available. So somehow Daniel LaPlante got the phone number to the Andrews house and he eventually started calling Annie. So, this is the older daughter? Yep, the 15-year-old. So he started calling her and said, you know, maybe I got your number from a schoolmate or something like that. They thought we should talk. So Annie's like 15 years old here. Her hormones are you know, flying. You know, she's excited to get some attention from a boy. She's probably also super stressed because with her dad working a lot, she's probably manning a lot of the household chores. Sure, like so, you did. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. my parents were both alive, but they yes, worked a lot. But they worked a lot. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, hormones are raging. A boy talks to her. She's like, cool, we'll, we'll, we'll talk and have this conversation. So for a period of a week, maybe two weeks, uh, depending on where you read, they had some good conversations. Uh, she enjoyed the conversations with Daniel. Um, he described himself to her as tall, blonde, athletic, all sorts of good things. Um, smart, you know, just kind of making, making him up to be a, a really good, good standing citizen. 
and uh, eventually they agreed to go on a date. So Daniel ended up showing up at the door. First thing, and he opens the door. You notice he was none of the things that he said. He was greasy, dark-haired, full of acne. And oh, geez. You know, obviously, he probably put a description out there that what he wanted to look like and wished he looked like. Mm-hmm. And I never understand what people think are gonna is going to happen. <laughs> the cat's going to be out of the bag, buddy. It's going to come out when you stand there in front of this person. They're going to see that you are not the things you said you were. I think the, the thinking is, oh, they're going to fall in love with who I am. Okay, as a person. Yeah. But then the first thought is you're a liar. Right. Yeah, well, people that do that in the first place probably don't think these things through too much, I yeah. guess. So he shows up to pick her up. Um, Poor girl was probably like, how the hell do I get out of this? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, right away. And uh, according to one blog, they went to a local fair. So after about an hour together, Annie decided she didn't want to see Daniel anymore. Yeah. Um, so something happened there that made her think that in addition to all the lying and stuff. So I guess what happened, Annie's mom came up in conversation, you know, as they were talking about their families and stuff, and it ignited this, like, insane curiosity and almost an obsession with Daniel. That she had passed away? Um, He wanted to know more about, like, her death and her suffering. Oh, Jesus. And, like, really, really detailed, like, how did you feel exactly the moment she died? And how much did she suffer? Like, what did you, what happened to her? Like, you know, those kind of questions. Like, it was almost like, dude, just this is a horrible yeah, this, part of my life. This poor girl lost her mother. She doesn't want to talk about the suffering that her mother just went through. Yeah, exactly. So, or maybe she does, you know, if it's a traumatic thing she went through, but dude, she just met you. Yep. Or, I guess she talked on the phone, but still. Yep. So at that moment, she's like, no, nope, we're done here and left him. And she decided I'm done with this guy. Unfortunately, they were not done. He wasn't done. Right. He wasn't done. She was like, yeah, I'm, I'm writing him off. Never going to see him again. A few days later after the date, Annie and her eight-year-old sister, Jessica, decided they want to try to contact their mom. And so they decided to do like a seance in the mm-hmm. basement. So they go down to the basement and you know they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, I don't know if there's a professional seance person or whatever, but they light some candles and it was really more of like a sisterly bonding thing. Just, right. You know, they're missing their mom oh, and they make wanted... them feel closer to her. Exactly. So they go down to the basement, they light some candles, they held hands, they sang some songs and you know, whatever a 15 and eight year old do for a seance. Um, nothing really happened and, you know, it was non, not eventful. So they went back to their rooms and eventually settled down for the evening. Um, fell, fell asleep. Then a little bit later, they woke up to like a rhythmic knocking. Oh my gosh. Okay. And knocking, tapping. So as they woke up, they were really excited. They were like, oh man, the seance worked. Like this is mom trying to talk to us. Like, wow. you know, they, they both woke up and they're, they're, they're excited. So they were trying to talk to their mother. Um, they'd ask the spirit questions and it would reply with knocks. Oh my gosh, this is really... Yeah, so they're they're like, oh my God, it's mom. Like, how excited would you be? Oh, these girls. Right. So, you know, then they, they started talking and whatever, yeah, and, and whatever. So this, this whole thing would go on for a few nights in a row. Wow. And eventually it started to become like bothersome and annoying and it started affecting their sleep. And it was really bad. They couldn't get any sleep because of it because they would just be waiting for it and it would happen and, and so on and so forth. Were they getting scared at all? Uh, it didn't say. You know, I tried to look for some of that. There was a lot of questions like, did they tell their dad? Did they, you know, yeah. at this point, no. So yeah. all, all intents, uh, all, all the stories def, you know, point to not really. Okay. Okay. So um, also right around that point, they started noticing things that they left on the table one day would be thrown on the floor. 
um, or like furniture was moved. Right. So here we go back to Daniel the plant. You know, it's hard to when you live with other people because there's always that wonder, did somebody, somebody else move it? Yeah. Like yeah. I never come back to the house and it looks the same as when I walked out. Sure. You just assume one of your kids did it. Because so I you... live with three other animals. Yeah. You and the two children. <laughs> <laughs> we are animals. Let me tell you. No doubt about it. You hold, hold a good house. But yeah, you think your sister did it or dad. And then right. sure, they talk to each other and they're like, no, I didn't move anything. No. And then just... if, especially if it starts happening in your own room. Right. And you're like, I know I didn't put that there. Yep. So um, there's also some reports, depending on where you read, that they leave food in the kitchen, um, and then like minutes later, it would be gone. Oh my gosh, that's freaky as shit. Yeah, yeah. So eventually, they did go to their dad and talked about everything, and he just thought, you know, they're making it up. Um, a lot of it's coming from stress of losing their mother. They're just right. trying to you know, make up for it somehow. They're coming together, chalking it up to okay, they're they're just you know really stressed out and, and or they forgot right whatever it might be he's like okay they want some attention uh, you know whatever it is but one evening in january of 1987 things got ramped up a little bit so um the knocking started again like it always does while annie and jessica were in their rooms the tapping and knocking were so common they learned to live with it so even though it was making them insane it was just something part of their nights right that they knew would happen and it just made them feel crazy but this particular evening, the sounds were coming from the basement. Oh, my God. That scares me so much. Yeah. So normally they'd be coming from inside the walls. Now it's from the basement. So this is where the story starts to take like a urban legend. Like kind of this is this is where it kind of comes from like a, a book almost like those scary stories to tell in the dark or something like that. Well, and everyone's afraid of their friggin basement. Of course. You know, luckily here in Florida, we don't have basements. So that a eliminates that scary part of the house <laughs> but i remember growing up in illinois and i was always afraid of my basement yeah well yeah i always remember thinking uh you know running up from the basement when the lights are off and oh, thinking somebody yeah. was following you from behind yeah and we used to have like the you could see through the stairs mm-hmm. so i was always convinced a hand was going to grab my ankle yeah <laughs> even though you know damn well i mean as you become in, you know i did it recently at my parents house i'm like why would i ever think that that's crazy. i would probably still feel that way <laughs> you would I know yeah you would probably ask me mike don't leave me don't leave, you go up first or you go up last okay <laughs> exactly i'm like hun we know there's nothing down here yeah but your basement's less creepy it's finished it's really bright you can see every part of it when you're in it yeah. basically right whereas mine wrapped around it wasn't finished it was you know Musty it had potential a for bit. a lot of hiding places for sure for sure um so anyways they heard this this noise from the basement and they wanted to check it out uh, this is the movie where it's like why would you go to the the noise yeah, curiosity yeah so the girls grabbed a knife from the, the kitchen and they headed to the basement oh these poor little girls when they get there they found a message in blood red on oh, the basement shit. that said i'm in your room come, no come and no. find me this is a horror movie yes it says i'm in your room come and find me oh my god so the girls wised up. They freaked out, absolutely lost it, and they got the hell out of the house. They went to the neighbor's house and waited for their dad to come oh, home. Oh, these poor children. Yeah. So once the dad got home, they explained to him, you know, they said, there's blood on the wall. It's written and says, come find me. Like, we're not going to go try to find it. Like, dad, help us. So he said, you know, again, he chalked it up. You guys are just doing this for attention. I know, you know, it's so hard. You've lost your mother. That's got to like, be no. t- tough. Yeah. Like, I, I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it. Right. And so, you're you're saying you don't believe me, right? 
And so he arranged for them to see a therapist so they can kind of talk out some things and hopefully get out their inner demons. You know, I'm sure at this point he's probably like, man, these kids are completely fucked. Well, and I would, as those girls, would not go back in that house. Yeah. I'd be like, Dad, I can't go in my room. Well, and he was also blaming himself for being gone more often. You know, he wished he could be there a little bit more for them and support them, I guess. Yeah, of course. You feel guilty. Um, you know, he did say that he felt bad being gone so much. So, you know, he, he, whatever. He's like, But right. regardless, they went back into the house. Yes. Well, so, yeah, they went back in the house and he cleaned everything up. Everything's fine. So. Okay. But he saw the message on the wall or yes, whatever it was. Yes, he figured the girls did it. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, everything's done. Two weeks later uh something happens again the girls come home uh were home alone and they heard the knocking again oh man this time from annie's bedroom oh annie is the little old one. oh the littler one okay uh i think it? annie's the older one and jessica's oh, the younger one right. yep yep you're right so annie's the older one the 15 year old so they went to check it out and found a message written in blood red saying i'm back find me if you can hell no yeah so. i'm not playing hide and seek with you motherfucker <laughs> right <laughs> they're like fuck this and the 86 out of there so they went to the neighbor's house again girls freaked out waited for dad so this time dad comes home he's like i've had like enough of this stuff he's like i'm gonna go into the house right now i'll show you there's nothing there okay so he marches into the house proved nothing there and he notices furniture is completely like moved all over thank goodness because unless he thinks the girls did it um i you know what i had the feeling that it was so much that he thought they couldn't okay because that would be a relief to me that okay finally he's seeing things that he even believes now yeah um so and and then he went into annie's room so he was like okay i'm going right to the source here i'm going into annie's room let's check it out so not only that he saw another message on the wall that said marry me shit so he looks around to the other side of the room and there was daniel laplante dressed in brian's deceased wife's uh dress oh my god i have like goosebumps yeah with makeup on uh, a blonde wig and he was holding a hatchet oh my god i like my scalp is prickled yeah that's horrifying right so some reports said may have been the wedding dress. Some, you know, that might have been made Well, up. and I, a lot of people did back then preserve their dresses and that sort of thing. So it's possible. Who knows? But, but man alive. For sure. He's had makeup on, a dress, a blonde wig with a hatchet oh, in his well, hand. Well, now dad has to believe the story. Yep. So right away, dad lunges at him. They fight for a bit. Holy crap. And somehow Daniel was able to escape. Um, the dad said it was so confusing how he was there one second and gone the next. Wow. Like, so he obviously had a quick escape. Right. So I'm, I'm sure it was probably dark and, you know, he just lost him and he's a little guy, a little smelly little guy and just gone. Like, you know, gone there one second, gone the next in a flash. So, of course, they call the police right away. They're like this, you know, explain the whole thing happened, how fucked up everything is. Um, the police found out that the messages were written in ketchup. Okay. So, you know. That's a little saving grace, but at the same time, there's a complete psycho. Oh, I don't care what the hell it was written in. It's not changing the way I feel about anything. Yep. And then in one of the cabinets um, built into the walls of Annie's bedroom, an officer found a hidden crawl space. That's absolutely awful. So that's how he got away so fast. Okay. So he had an escape route right there. Yep. So the officer opened the hatch. He found Danny LaPlante curled up inside. So they removed Oh, them. so he was still there. He was in the house. Wow. Yep. He didn't... You know, I thought maybe he had like a exit strategy. Right, right. Nope. He was Little curled fucker. up. Sitting there. Removed him. So they got him, arrested him, took him away. And then 
they decided, well, let's look into everything we can, try to find some evidence. So the cops did a more thorough, detailed search of the house and try to find what they could find. They found out that Daniel LaPlante had been living inside the walls of their home. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is horror story 101. This is exactly like the calls coming from inside the house. This oh, is- my gosh. And that's a movie. My mother loved showing me scary movies, not to torment me, but she loved them. <laughs> right. And she wanted me to watch with her. Of so course. as a kid, four years old, five. <laughs> no, I was probably like five. Eh, no, maybe seven. Yeah. And and there was the one that it was a girl babysitting and the calls were coming from in the house and the house resembled my house growing up. And it was the room my sister was in. It was a room at the top of the stairs. What's nice about that? You can picture your own house in the horror. Yes. Yeah. So from there on out, I was like afraid of that room at the top of the stairs. Naturally, naturally even when i was 17 years old i was still afraid so i think about that when reese wants to watch our our nine-year-old daughter wants to watch scary movies i'm like eh, i don't think that's a good idea <laughs> like i was tormented uh, by yeah, it, it so. affected me yeah <laughs> you, you enjoyed yourself though you had good oh yeah i mean it, they're fun to watch sure. but they, they yeah. stick with you well and they also said from the story there were a couple like people stole the ideas and put them oh, into movies and stuff man that's awful so they found a passageway where LaPlante had been tunneling around other areas of the house. So it was kind of like a little rat, like walking all around the walls and the crawl spaces of the house. You know, obviously, I don't know how the build of a house works. And I, I would imagine there's like a teeny tiny space in between the walls. So yes. I don't know how that works. I don't know. Um, but he, he was in there. And not only that, they found a bunch of little peepholes. What a fucking creep. So he could watch Annie in every room wherever oh, she was this in. This poor girl. Can you imagine the revelation when you find this out that everything you did and said was being watched? Yeah. And your house is your safe space. Well, I mean, something as simple, you know, everybody's getting their cars broken into now as they sit out in the, the driveway. Right. And how violated you feel from that? Well, somebody was in your space. Right. But there's something different about a house. Like, oh, absolutely. Your house is where no matter how shitty you, you of a day you had at work or whatever, you get to come home and be in your sanctuary, safe space. And that's taken away from you because some disgusting person violated that from you. Exactly. And like, you know, these girls are dealing with the loss of their mother. And now this girl's got to think about this dude, like watching her forever. Changing. Uh, Just thinking of anything you did. Yeah. And, you know, girls at that time, too, are exploring their own sexuality yeah so you think about what you did and what yep. he saw right and all the knocks you heard you knew now were from him yeah conversations he had with your girlfriends and whatever it is so obviously he saw that seance then oh, yeah. which made him oh i'm gonna knock so that yep. they think it's their mother you fucking asshole yep yep so you know i tried to find out what was he gonna do um they never found out what his intentions were for that night but you can imagine that he was probably going to kill someone. Well, he had a hatchet. Right. I, maybe if she said no, he would kill her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Marry me. Um, okay. You're in a blonde wig. You have makeup on and my mom's dress on. I'm 15. Oh, yes, Danny. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it, was, it was disgusting. So Obviously, his mind was not on straight. Yep. So that happened that ended um and that was at this point let's see he went ended up going to a juvenile facility juvie um you know they booked him there he ended up getting out around october so it was spent almost a year okay in juvenile hall um it's 87 so he's 17 years old um as soon as he got out went right back to burglary um right and away. i wonder too like what kind of um psychological help 
did he get? You know, I don't know. Probably none. But that's the thing is like what goes on in someone's mind that they're living in the walls of somebody's home. Like clearly this person is a threat. I'm, well, I'm sure it's multiple personality like this guy, okay, oh, guy whatever has to just be off the rails. Every worst nightmare com- yeah. coming true. And like you can't just lock him up, but he shouldn't be in the public you know, I, well, you know, he's super capable of things. Right, right. It's always the next step. Like, when is he going to take that next step? And he's 17. And, you know, what's going to happen when he's 25? You know, puberty's hard enough on regular people. Yeah, you know, regular. I don't know. Just, you know, people that don't have mental disorders. Right. But something like this. It's, it's, uh, you know, this is just red something. flag. Right. Times a million. Yep. So he started burglarizing houses again in the neighborhood. Um, yeah. And, in one burglary in November, he ended up stealing a couple guns from a neighbor's house. Mm. Okay. This is uh, the big part of the, well, the end. This is where the murder happens. December 1st, 1987. LaPlante broke into the Gustafson home about a half mile from where he lived through the woods. He can get there from his mom's house to this house through the woods. Uh, The Gustafsons were a family of four, soon to be five. Um, there's a pregnant mother, Priscilla, 33 years old, and two children, Abigail, eight years old, and William, five years old. Um, their father and uh, husband, Andrew, he was at work when LaPlante broke in. So that day, Daniel LaPlante raped and murdered Priscilla. Oh, my God. And obviously murdered her unborn child. So that escalated like dramatically because had he previously raped or touched anybody? Not to any reports or knowledge. Okay. Okay. So he shot her in the head twice. Oh, my God. And she's pregnant. Yep. Point blank through a pillow to muffle the sound. Um, I think she was in her bed. Um, he raped her and they found his semen on the bed and everything. And... Horrible said beat her, raped her. Poor baby. Shot her. Yeah. Um, so the father, Andrew, came home, and the house was super quiet. No peep of anybody normally. Which I'm sure is a complete opposite of what he's used to. Yep. So rushes to his bedroom, sees his wife <sighs> laying dead in the bedroom, in the bed, and just freaks out, runs out, can't imagine what has happened to his children at this point. Um, runs out, calls the cops, says, I don't want to find my dead kids oh my on my God. own. Like, please come and help me. Please. What a nightmare. Yeah. So the police arrive. They found five-year-old William drowned in oh. a, a bathroom upstairs. And then they found his eight-year-old sister, Abigail, drowned in the bathroom downstairs. Oh, my God. This poor man just lost everything. Yep. Uh, one writer claimed that he drowned William, the five-year-old, after shooting Priscilla. And then waited for the eight-year-old to come home from school to kill her what the same way. What a fucking sicko. Yeah. So. So did he, I wonder if he knew this family and their schedule, like he knew an eight-year-old was coming. Well, yeah, and that's a, that's part of it. Um, or maybe she just walked in from school. So there's stories where they said that the the um, Gustafsons were involved in the local church and stuff, and there was only a half mile from their house, so he probably somehow knew of them somewhere somewhere there's also some stories I, i'm not including anything that's not an absolute fact here. right right well you can always guess yeah there's some stories that said that she helped the 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 mother and priscilla the wife, priscilla helped um daniel while he was in juvenile hall 
they said that there was a connection connection there yeah and that he became obsessed with her but there's also like there's a lot of stories and right. it gets really deep so uh-huh. i yeah. i don't necessarily believe that but you know there's there's not proven fact there so i left it out so um yeah just just a horrible situation here so right away the police made a list of suspects because they, you know, they came and figured it out. Somebody's been this you know, hor- horrible scene. Hmm, who lives through the woods back there? Right. Oh, was, oh, Danny. Right. He was on the, the list of suspects right away because he lived a half mile from the house and horrible, troubled life thus far. The next day, December 22nd, the cops went and interviewed Daniel. They found him at the public library. So Daniel said, nope. Uh, that time I was watching TV. Um, you know, I also went to a birthday party for my six-year-old niece. So did he have a book in front of him that said how to be a disgusting human being? Probably. Um, so the cops were like, okay, well, you know, still they, they didn't get anything to get him on it. So they can't arrest him. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, well, we'll be in touch. Yeah. Well, and then obviously too, if he left his traces behind clearly with raping poor Priscilla. Yeah, exactly. So. Also, it's, you know, it's 1987, so it's not quite the technology of today. But so later that day, the cops came to LaPlante's mom's house, where LaPlante lives, and uh, LaPlante was on the the doorstep, and as soon as he saw him, he took off into the woods. Never a good sign. Yeah, they they saw him. They're like, okay, we got our guy. So they searched the home. They found a number of things. I printed them all out. Um, We can talk about them in a a second here, but... um, yeah, there, there was one piece that uh, tied him to the Gustafson house, but they needed to find LaPlante first, obviously. Right. So um, they also looked at the, the path between the woods, between LaPlante's house and the Gustafson house. Okay. Where he committed the murders. They found a shirt that belonged to Daniel, along with some wet gloves that may have been used to drown the children. Um, so they found those. Um, so a manhunt started uh, over the next 48 hours. Um LaPlante, they said, is armed and dangerous, very, very dangerous. Stay away from him. They put his picture up all over the place. Uh, How did they know he was armed? Because he stole those guns. He okay. just killed a woman. Well, I didn't know if they assumed he was had the gun on his person. Right. You're right. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't say that they found out from his mom or something, okay. but he said he was armed and dangerous. Um, a few towns over from Townsend, he ended up breaking into a woman's home and kidnapped her. Jesus. And her vehicle. Um, the woman ended up escaping. Thank goodness. Well, like, what did he want with her? Like, if you want to get away, take her effing car. Yeah. He, we're not dealing with a, a, a sanity. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> when a, a normal person thinking about it, it's, it's, it doesn't come into play here. Um, someone spotted him who had seen his picture, who had seen his picture on the news. And they looked everywhere in the area where he was spotted, ended up finding him 48 hours later in a dumpster. Uh, he was hiding from police. Wow. So when he was inspected, uh, the story goes, I, I'm not sure if this was found at his house or on him at the time, but a hair belonging to Abigail Gustafson was discovered on his sock, cementing LaPlante's involvement in her okay. murder. So they also found the gun that shot the shots at his mom's house inside a broken down car in a glove compartment. So he was hiding it there. That killed Priscilla? Yes. Okay. Um, they can't say exactly. Like This time they could, you know, because doing the... the, the you know, the analysis of the gunpowder and all that stuff would put the exact same one, but they said it was the same type of gun okay. and all that stuff. Um, so a year later, Daniel LaPlante was sentenced to three life sentences for the murder of the Gustafson family. Thank God for that. Yeah. So there's a little bit of aftermath story here. Um, so he obviously he started going insane and 
Um, he never showed any remorse for his actions at all. Like they said during court, like they actually have a picture. He's kind of smirking a little oh, bit. Oh, gosh. Like the whole time just sitting there, just like kind of smirking and sickening. That's sick. Never saying, I'm so sorry, and you know, anything like that. That poor, poor family and that poor husband. Yeah. And you know what happened? Like, not that it matters, but like right before Christmas. Can you imagine that man probably never would want to celebrate Christmas again? Like everything he loved was taken away from him in one day. It was December. There was a report that said it was decorated for Christmas. I'm sure it was because you said it was like right around December 20th something. Um, December 1st. Okay. But you know, when you have kids, you're like the holidays are so magical. You decorate. It's like you want to make it special. Instantly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What an awful thing. Yep. So they're saying he's suffering from multiple personality disorders. Um, he's broken beyond repair. So from the years of 1988 to 2014. Wow. Uh, a long, long time. He had attempted to sue the court multiple times over a violation of his rights. Um, he said he became a Satanist or a Wiccan, depending on what you read. They said he wasn't allowed to get dragon's blood and things to study his... <laughs> Why wouldn't they give him the dragon's blood? Oh, <laughs> yeah, come that's, on. That's what I was wondering. I mean, you know, you give a... I keep some. You give a Christian a Bible, you got to give a Wiccan a yeah, dragon's blood. I've got some in my drawer. <laughs> yeah, just in case. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. That's right. You got to make a little potion. So in... Um, yeah, practicing Satanists... So, so he claimed, uh, okay, so finally in 2017. So not very long ago. No. He was just like, it seemed like he kind of finally came to terms with everything, like somehow, some way. Um, came to terms as in accepted that what he did was wrong. horrific? Correct. So finally, finally. Wow, welcome, welcome, Daniel. Yep. So he made a statement. I want to read it. Oh, wow. Okay. I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow. But I'm truly sorry for the harm I've caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I am sorry. So, finally, first time ever, apologizing or showing any kind of remorse. Which is interesting, because it's how how many, from 87 to 2017. Like, what light bulb just happened to click on that said, I did something wrong? Right. I would imagine... This piece of shit's just reading about how to get your freedom. Okay, well, a little too late there, Daniel. And yeah, a lot of the times that was part of what they what they looked for to see if he was eligible for some you parole, know, parole or something, or whatever it is. Yeah, just early dismissal to see if there but was. If you have three life sentences, I don't know how that works. Yeah, our, I don't know either. But <laughs> our judicial sorry, system. Sorry, Daniel, is, you need to stay the fucking prison. Right, exactly. This guy shouldn't be in in the general public. So, um. Yeah, he, he must have read about it, and that was it. But yeah, so he's he's in life in there for life. He's never coming out. But that's the one time he expressed any kind of you know sorrow of what he did. Yep. And last thing here, so Andrew Gustafson, yes. the dad, he passed away in 2014. Oh. So he wasn't there to hear about the killer. Which really, would it have mattered well, if he heard that? More about that he was never getting out. Okay. Well, didn't he know, though, he had three life sentences? That was his last chance. I guess there's okay. a certain... I've never been to prison, thankfully, so but I don't know. But the book was now closed, yes. and it was done. That was his last and final chance to get out, which is probably why he threw that Hail Mary up there. Yeah. And it didn't let him out. So, But on Gustafson's deathbed, um, he was quoted as saying, don't ever let him out. He should rot in prison. I agree. And I wonder what his life went on to look like. Oh, absolutely terrible. You know, but I just hope that, you know, I don't know how old Mr. Gustafson was. Obviously, probably like low 30s, like his wife was. But I hope that he was able to maybe meet somebody else and be happy as much as you can. 
but I mean, just an, a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm very thankful to hear that this poor, poor family, not thankful that this poor family had to deal with what they dealt with, but that they got him like before he could wreak havoc on other families. Yeah. I mean, he, this this level of fucked up could have gone on. Oh, my God. You hear about these people that go on for years and years and years and have a death rate of whatever. But in the fact, too, that the other family ended up as much as they were tormented and screwed with, at least nobody was hurt in that instance with Jessica and Annie. Right. Still mentally, they're going to have to deal with this crap yeah. forever. Like, they're going to go to their therapists in their 40s and 50s, which they are now. And, right. And be like... Oh, this is why I'm screwed up. Well, and imagine, too, these girls are now probably around our age. They're mothers, potentially. You're sitting in your home in the evening. You hear a little... You hear something. Settling in the house. You're freaked out. Yeah. I would never want you to go on business trips, like, ever, if that was the case. It's PTSD. Yeah. It was just, you know, like, soldiers hear fireworks and they get chills. It's like any sound in the house. I mean, she would have to be with somebody who would just never leave her, or, you know... Yeah, because I would think you would just be traumatized to be alone in your home and hear something. Yeah. Yeah, so this like a lot of these stories just you know screwed. He, the kid never had a chance growing up. Um, but there's a lot of people that you know have very dire very situations. dire, horrible situations, and you know it's the one thing of where you feel sorry for them as a child, but not as the person who did these monstrous things. No, but obviously I feel sorry for the child that was sexually abused by his father his stepfather his fucking psychiatrist who was supposed to help him right he gets there finally like oh good i get some help somebody's gonna be on my side nope nope he's gonna do the same thing that these other pieces of shit did to me yeah but what i do wonder is like what his mom's role was in his life yeah i did talk i did google his mom and like there's not much if yeah anything. so it's there's there's definitely more to the story there yeah everybody thinks mom like what was his mom why would well, his mom put him in these situations because you think to yourself okay well someone called a psychiatrist to get him involved into that yeah so maybe it was her who knows but you hear these awful stories where a child comes to their parent and says my stepfather is molesting me and they blame them or say you're a fucking liar they're not doing that because no we need this like he's taking care of us you shut your mouth you don't talk about my husband like that right yeah and then then you have this and that's uh it was horrible yeah that's that I th- I heard about in a very quick little blurb on some podcast about the story of him in the wedding dress, right, with the hatchets. Yeah, and that's the you know maybe some people sensationalize that a little bit to make it more interesting. I and boy, he could have been in it. Yeah, we don't oh. know for sure. Um, it's there in there's lots of different areas this goes into, and this one there's this one writer that is kind of the expert on this, and. Uh, yeah, he ended up having some people contact him directly because a lot of different crime podcasts pick this story up, obviously, because it's fascinating for all these different reasons. Well, like you said, it's like every scary stories, like worst nightmare come to life. All wrapped into one. Yes. And uh, he was contacted by people that had intimate knowledge of this and family members and things. And he was asked to um, you know, take some things out because they went a little far. Like, the, you know, when, when he found... Um, you know the the first family the the gust the andrews family mm-hmm. they were saying you know there's some stories out there where um he was obsessed with the girl he found her in school and like followed her in school and like stuff like that there's just like kind of went a little further than the actual truth itself um or maybe found her in a phone book or you know there's there's not a, a firm detail of how they didn't go her. to the same school no okay 
Um, and then I just find it interesting that it went from that one thing of tapping on walls and, you know, whatever to going in and raping and killing all those people. Like that is such a huge jump that I wonder if there was anyone else in between that he per- perhaps raped and they didn't even report him. Right. You know, because that's just such a huge jump. And he just never talked about it and never wanted to let it out. And right. I'm sure there's probably things connected to him in places, but yeah, everything they searched. is. Oh, that was really scary. And that'll stick with me. And I will think about that uh, next time I'm home alone, which... Well, you know, one thing about this podcast now, uh, I've always been talking to you about, well, there's not like crimes going on at every moment around the whole neighborhood all the time. You got to right, realize. Because when you listen to these things, you think it's like rampant in every situation. Whereas like when I'm walking through the parking lot at work and it's broad daylight, I'm looking around like, okay, you look a little suspicious. Stay the fuck away from me. But you're looking at people, which I think it's important to be aware of your surroundings. Especially as a woman. Yes especially as a woman and trying not to put yourself in situations that are dangerous. Right. I mean, obviously fucking creeps can be anywhere at any time of day. But one thing I tried not to do was like, go to these nature trails to jog or rollerblade or whatever by myself. Like I don't want to put myself in a situation that could be potentially dangerous. Well, you get that creepy feeling and that's when you know to nope the hell out of it. Well, there. you look t- to your left at this trail and it's nothing but woods and there's not a person in sight. It's like, this is the perfect opportunity for some disgusting person to just rape and kill me yeah yeah and so you know when i'm taking the dogs out at night now i'm looking behind different places so Good. thank you thank you very much for, for scaring you yeah. you are welcome yeah i look forward to the rest of my life well thank you for your horrifying storytelling absolutely so uh, happy to bring that over here hope everybody has a great week uh thank you for listening tell your friends all about us and, um, talk to you next week bye